0: Hey folks, Michelle Perlman here, gastroenterologist and physician nutrition specialist. And I'm Amy Perlman, urologist, men's health, and sexual medicine specialist. Welcome to Perlman MD's podcast. We are going to tackle all topics related to nutrition, sexual health, exercise,
1: and mindfulness. Stay tuned. It's Jackie here. And I'm really excited for tonight's live. Tonight's real talk is with Dr. Michelle Perlman. She is a board she triple board certified in internal medicine, gastroenterology, and obesity medicine. Incredible. And she works at the University of Miami in their weight management clinic. I might be mis saying that. Let's see here. All right. How are you? I need to look this up a little bit more. <laughs> beast Mode.
0: Beast Mode. Beast Mode is officially turned on.
1: On. I love it. I've got to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I am fabulous. I'm really looking forward to this conversation tonight. But before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and say hi.
0: Okay, well, hello, I'll start with that. I'm wearing my avocado shirt today. Oh, I love it! (laughs) Because we're going to be talking about healthy food and good options. Um, So, I am a gastroenterologist, and so I started doing general gastroenterology. To be honest with you, the more that I practiced general GI, the more that I realized the importance of food and that I can give someone an antacid and I can give them things to help. With bloating, but if we don't focus on the food that they're eating day in and day out, a lot of these medications are just not that helpful. Um, So I actually then kind of pivoted and now my practice is really based on weight management and nutrition and obesity medicine.
1: That is incredible. And you see patients at the University of Miami, correct? Correct. Yep. So at the end of the live, you guys will share all her information. If you guys want to go in to see Dr. Michelle, you can see her. And really funny, I have a dietitian friend who used to work at the University of Miami, and she commented on the picture when me, you, and Leslie got together for lunch. She goes, oh, my God, I love Dr. Perlman. she used to see (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for having me tonight. Really excited to be here. We've got so much stuff to talk about, and... So when you're seeing patients, one of the things we wanted to talk about are fad diets. Mm -hmm. Do you get patients coming in? Like what kind of, what are the fad diets that you're seeing people coming in with? And how do you talk to them about these different diets and weight management in general?
0: Yeah, it breaks my heart. So University of Miami, we're a tertiary referral center. And so oftentimes people... Uh, come to UM because they've struggled for many, many years with a certain problem, and they're referred to us. And many people have struggled with their weight, whether it's trying to gain weight, maintain their weight when life happens, or lose weight, for decades. And I'm oftentimes, unfortunately, their last resort. So they've tried all these fad diets, and I am here to admit that I've tried a bunch of them, including the cabbage soup diet, and Weight Watchers, and... Um, like a juicing cleanse three days before a cruise. And then of course I gained 10 pounds during the cruise because of all the damn sodium. So I've been there and I've done it. And so I understand what people are going through. Um, These fad diets are really promoting quick weight loss and people are desperate to lose weight. So no wonder these things um, just seem very trendy and popular. Um, And so what they do is they just create very restrictive diets. Anyone can lose weight when they cut out most of the major food groups because you end up having to be extremely selective, you can only, you know, eat certain things and so you end up actually cutting your calories. So yes, any diet works in the short term. But most of the patients that come and see me have lost 50 pounds eight different times. And so my goal is to figure out what have they tried in the past, what has worked and what hasn't and how can I give them advice on things to change so that we don't repeat their past. Otherwise, what am I here for?
1: Right. And that's, you hit on something really, really powerful. Sometimes it's, it's not, it's like the emotions that are tied with food. And like most people know that an Oreo is not healthy. Water is better to drink than a soda or even diet soda. Mm-hmm. People know these things, but it's like when shit hits a fan, like they, they go to the the cake, the donut, the coffee, the whatever, instead of going for water, or going out for exercise, going to box with Alex at City of Angels box, like instead of doing some of these things, they turn to food. Mm-hmm. So able to dig, dig into those, like some of those behavioral patterns.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, people eat for a variety of reasons or they don't eat for a variety of reasons, whether it's stress, happiness, sadness, just plain old boredom, um, you know starting from when we're babies we are told when we eat and what we eat so when we go to elementary school middle school and high school we often say you know are told we have to have breakfast and then we get lunch maybe a snack in the afternoon then we get home and then we have dinner and then maybe a snack before bed those were all um, created by by humans right on when we're supposed to eat and how long we have to eat and oftentimes until we're adults what we get to eat and so a lot of people are never actually taught what true hunger feels like. People ask me all the time, what does that mean to feel hungry? Mm -hmm. Because we don't even know anymore. And oftentimes what we feel as hunger is not true hunger for food, it's hunger for something. Whether that's nourishment, whether that's hungry for companionship or hungry to move our body, hungry for sleep, our brain can definitely mix up those signals. So oftentimes we go to the most convenient thing and that's food food has become way too convenient.
1: Way too convenient. I have a fun acronym that I always like to tell people about, and it's HALT. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Mm -hmm. And literally, so many people, they'll turn to food for every one of those emotions. and, And really, the only one that people should start turning to food for is when you're hungry. Because when we're not hungry, no need to eat. And there's, like, fat stays in our blood for, what, six to eight hours? And if we're having a high-fat meal for breakfast and then we have a snack in the morning and they have more fat then and then also at lunch, like, we never – our body never gets time to, like, process and clear all that fat out. And then people wonder why they are getting weight. or are not even gaining weight. Why they're getting inflammation mm-hmm. and the pains and arthritis and whatever. So I, I'm glad that it's not – like, it always starts off as diet and like, what can we do? What can we change nutritionally? But it's, it's so much deeper than that.
0: Oh, exactly. And there's just so much misinformation out there. So, you know, is breakfast really the most important of the day? No, it's not breakfast is breaking the fast. So if that's at 7 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 1 p.m., it doesn't matter. It's just eating when you're hungry. I have plenty of patients as a gastroenterologist who say, I was told I have to eat breakfast. I'm always a little bit nauseated in the morning, and the thought of eating breakfast makes me sick, but then they still eat because they're told they have to, and then they don't feel well. So it's about understanding when you're hungry, but then also having options available so that you're not scouring the pantry when that hunger signal actually hits. So that's huge. And then we're also told, you know, oh no, you have to eat every two to three hours to maintain your metabolism. And that's really not true. So at the end of the day, it's about eating when you're hungry. Now, some people may just not have a a big appetite or some people have gastric bypass. So it's not about starvation. It's it's absolutely not about starvation. You still need protein. So as long as you're getting for the typical adult sixty to eighty grams of protein per day. So you eat your protein first and then if you're hungry you have the rest, then you should be enough. So it's usually around at least eight hundred calories per day. Most women who want to lose weight, it's around twelve hundred per day. And most men who want to lose weight about fifteen hundred calories per day.
1: Do you get into calorie counting very much with your patients? I mean could describe the patients that come in to see you. Like what is your typical patient?
0: Yeah, so it's patients who let's say don't necessarily have a weight problem, but they struggle with PCOS or fatty liver or prediabetes. And so being able to teach them how to eat for their underlying comorbidities is very important irrespective of the weight loss or people who are considered overweight or obese, patients who have had bariatric surgery, whether it's the lap band, gastric bypass, gastric sleeve, Um, many of them do well after surgery some struggle with weight regain so i see a lot of those folks and then i see a lot of cancer patients so people who you know are let's say undergoing chemo or radiation and they're having unintentional weight loss they also need to learn how to eat in order to at least maintain their their you know muscle mass because nutrition is so incredibly important um, in order to really uh, withhold all that treatment
1: very very important so you Mm -hmm. see the whole slew like you see from severely malnourished people that need to eat more for mm-hmm. weight management, to people who are have some underlying diseases or maybe are early stages of diseases and want to not progress to that next stage of disease and that's my favorite areas like working mm-hmm. with people on health and longevity to prevent different diseases and then you also work with people who might need to lose weight because a lot of times in weight management they're you think it's weight loss but we have the full spectrum here so
0: yeah
1: that's cool it kind of keeps your job it like keeps your day very diverse and keeps it exciting
0: exactly and at the end of the day every single living organism needs nutrition and nourishment and so that's one of the reasons why i love what i do because it applies to everyone there's a lot of there are a lot of people who are surviving that's not good enough for a lot of people. People want to thrive, and it doesn't matter at any age. I'll tell you, some of my healthiest patients are in their 70s and 80s because they took care of the only body that they knew they would ever have. And they run around, and, and they're still working full-time. The ones, honestly, that I worry about is I have you know plenty of patients who are in their 20s and 30s who have developed really poor coping strategies. And, you know, work is really stressful. They never really learned how to meal prep. They're eating out all the time. Um, Those are actually some of my most challenging. My patients who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s are actually my easier patients, believe it or not. That does kind
1: of surprise me. That really does, (laughs) like when a patient comes in to see you, it it sounds like you're able to spend a decent amount of time with patients and work with them through some lifestyle factor, some lifestyle changes. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I always start with where are people coming from. So, you know, I, I want to learn more about them. And I'll tell you it is a struggle in healthcare because I have, you know, particularly in Miami, people are on Miami time, so some people do show up late. So now let's say I have 30 minutes for a visit. So I have to learn about all of their medical problems, what medications they're taking, what sort of food allergies or sensitivities do they have. What is their household unit like? Do they have kids? Do they have significant others? Do they travel a lot for work? Do they have to eat out for lunch every day and take out clients? And so obviously meal prep is not gonna work for them. And then what are their goals? That's really one of the biggest things I try to figure out is what is their why? Why are they here? And whether it's to lose weight feel better, be in less pain, be able to keep up with their kids. That's how I tailor a lot of my recommendations is to meet their why. And it's really meeting people where they are.
1: Oh my gosh, we seriously need more doctors like you. I'm being 1,000% serious because so many times doctors don't always, like, listen to their patients, like what you're doing and meeting them where they are. And it's not like you jump right into medications. You want to see what you can change lifestyle first, and then medications if necessary. That's the beauty of having medications that are so-
0: Exactly, exactly. And I ask patients actually, before I spend a lot of time going over medication options, I say, we have medication options. Are you open to discussing them? And I have plenty of patients who say, you know what? I am not interested in medication right now. I wanna try everything else first. So I don't waste 15 minutes talking about medication um at the end of the day i'm their success is my success wherever they are in their journey whether it's they're contemplating bariatric surgery interested in medications as a tool or really just want to focus on learning how to eat and and how to start moving their body more consistently and then that's what i'm there for i'm there to share all the options i have zero agenda i am there to figure out what are they interested in and that way i can tell them all the options and then we make you know a, a shared decision on what may work for them. Now I can't, I tell them, I can't promise you this is going to work. Um, and that's okay. So we're going to try this and then you're going to give me feedback. I give you feedback and we go back and
1: forth until we figure out what works. I think that's beautiful. What has been some of your biggest aha moments? Like what are, what's maybe what's a common objection that you're hearing from a lot of your patients on what's standing in their way of them losing weight or getting to their proper weight gain or whatever. So like, what's a, what's a big obstacle that you hear?
0: Um, I I think a big part of it, like we had um, slightly touched on earlier is busting a lot of these myths. Okay. There's so much misinformation out there and we were never taught basic nutrition. We hear these terms, keto and intermittent fasting and low carb and high protein all the time. Many people don't actually know what that means and that's okay, so I educate them on that. I'm not going to start using fancy terms if it completely goes over their head. So the first step is just understanding what are they eating and actually targeting the added sugars because sugar is a drug and it stimulates reward centers in our brain that make us crave more sugar and then oftentimes people will then crave savory foods. So when people are constantly feeling hungry or constantly craving sweets or salty food, a lot of it has to do with what we start to put in our mouth first thing in the morning, and it's often the Cuban coffee. And if we're dumping tons of sugar or artificial sweeteners or cow's milk or creamer, we are starting our day off with literally crack cocaine. And it's no wonder that we are craving things the rest of the day. So that's actually what I focus on is, for the most part, I don't actually have people calorie count unless they want to. I focus on the ingredients and I teach people that what you choose to eat, even though a packet of sugar may not have that many calories, realize that that packet of sugar is changing your brain chemistry and is going to influence what you crave and eat the rest of the day. And that is what I care about. And if we focus on the ingredients, you will end up cutting your calories and actually be less hungry.
1: That is brilliant, and the ingredients are so, so powerful. So many people don't realize, like, whenever sugar, I always say when it's listed as the first four or five ingredients in the packet, then that should actually be considered a dessert, and you would be, well, you wouldn't be, you know, but so many foods, they have sugars, like, high up there, marinara sauce, ketchup, like, so many things that you don't even think about Mm -hmm. have sugar. As a as a very high high up ingredient, and then you guys probably know that are watching, but the ingredients are listed in order of the amount in the product. So if sugar is one of the first few ingredients, it's just it's like the majority of the product. And I don't even like ca- like calling an Oreo or ca- calling some of these foods. I don't like calling them foods because it's like chemical conglomerate of scariness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of my um, old colleagues in Dallas, during COVID, she was playing a lot of puzzles and she couldn't find a puzzle piece. So she like moved away the TV console and she found a Cheeto. And she goes, I don't remember the last time I had a Cheeto. I think it was 20 years ago. But yet that Cheeto was still intact, covered with dust mites. Not even the dust mites would eat it, but yet we considered it a delicacy. I mean, it's really crazy. And a lot of people with GI issues a lot of times it comes down to, we are eating chemicals that our body doesn't recognize. And our body's like, what the hell are you putting in me? Get out, and then it purges and people have diarrhea. So what people say, I hear it all the time is, doc, what is wrong with my body? There's something wrong with my body. And there very well may be something with their body. And obviously we have to do our due diligence to work that up. But many times the workup comes back negative. And at the end of the day, I go back to them and I say, Luckily, everything came back normal. There's nothing that's concerning. We need to go back to the drawing board and look at what you're eating. Your body is trying to protect you. It's trying to tell you that you don't feel well after eating X, Y, and Z. You should probably stop eating X, Y, and Z. And there's no medication I can give someone to change that. And as we get older, or if we get an infection, or if we're on antibiotics, or we're under stress, our body becomes much less tolerant of the crap that many of us eat.
1: (laughs) That is so powerful. And as a gastroenterologist, you probably see that like firsthand, like when you're scoping you, when you're doing procedures, you actually see all the inflammation that these chemicals and the processing is causing on a body. It's crazy. Do you have patients keep a food diary ever like to see like what they're eating and like show what their symptoms are so that they Mm -hmm. analyze it? Or do you guys just talk it out?
0: Yeah, I mean, we talk it out. Now, I will ask people to do a food diary. Um, it's, the problem is a lot of the apps out there are not that helpful because there aren't really any symptom associations with the food. Um, so I am working on an app for that. But a lot of the apps, really, you just kind of track your food. Um, but I don't really know what symptoms you're having. And a lot of these food sensitivities are delayed responses. So if you have a food allergy to, let's say, peanuts, a typical IgE-mediated food allergy – you may get hives or anaphylaxis or lip swelling or, or throat swelling or shortness of breath. That is a very classic IgE-mediated food allergy to peanuts. And then you need an EpiPen and be told never to consume anything with peanuts. But there's also non-IgE-mediated food allergies or food sensitivities or food intolerances that are not an immune problem. And those can often um, manifest as delayed responses. So it may, you may have had, let's say, beans and rice and a bunch of garlic and chicken breast or something from a fast food establishment a day ago. And then maybe, you know, 24 hours pass and then you get really bloated and may have diarrhea. But you blame what you just had for breakfast and you say, it must be the banana I ate. It may actually have nothing to do with the banana you ate. It may have everything to do with what you had 24 hours prior. So that's where a lot of those food sensitivities get very challenging.
1: Very challenging. What do you think about the food sensitivity tests?
0: Um, it's complete bullshit, is what I'll say. Um, the, the way they got around it is they market directly to the consumers, so they bypass all the healthcare providers. Now, I'm the first one to say most healthcare providers were never trained in nutrition, so you know that's a caveat. But um, there really is no GI or allergy society or immunology society that recommends the food sensitivity testing because it tests for an IgG protein to food. And it's normal for your body to produce this protein. So as you can imagine, that test, it's a blood test. It will test for, let's say, the most common 80 foods in, you know, in uh, America. And many of the foods that you commonly eat will come back positive. So people come and bring me a packet and they say, Doc, um, I don't know actually what to eat anymore. I'm very confused because all the things I've been eating for the th- past five years, it's telling me I have a sensitivity and they say, can you take a look at it? And I tell them, honestly, I don't even need to look at that packet. Why don't we actually talk about what you're eating and try to find some associations? Because I find those tests um, actually very confusing for people and it actually can cause a lot of issues and restricted eating patterns. And that's a big problem.
1: That's a very, very big problem. And I knew you were gonna say that they're crap because I've heard that from multiple gastroenterologists. And, it is kind of interesting, and I've also heard several other gastroenterologists say, and dietitians. I mean, you can literally, you can eat a food and know if your body's tolerating it or not, and if you do start noticing gas or bloating, excessive gas, constipation, whatever the case might be, like, you can go back up to 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours. You can, like, really rewind the tape, yeah. and your body's responding. You don't need to get one of these tests and just... Okay pay like slow down and pay attention to your body which is basically what you're talking to your patients about
0: exactly and actually what is equally as important as what we eat is how we eat and how much we eat okay again no one ever taught me how to actually properly eat and so um you know in certain fields when people are running around let's say when i was doing a 28-hour call and i'm stuffing down food or in between clinic i'm literally shoving food in between patients um because we're not even allowed to let's say have a water bottle in the workroom. So as you can imagine, I'm, you know, healthcare providers are honestly chronically dehydrated. If I'm doing procedures all day, I can't drink a bunch of water because I can't go to the bathroom. So okay. these things are ingrained because we're kind of forced to do that. And so it, it may have nothing to do with the apple that I ate. It may have everything to do with the fact that I didn't even chew the apple. And now I have undigested food particles going into my stomach and it's a lot harder for my body to break that down or if I'm eating really fast or talking really fast I'm swallowing a ton of air so that's aerophagia again it may have nothing to do with what I'm eating but the mere fact that I just swallowed a ton of air and now I feel bloated
1: that is so great and it's I'm so glad you're talking about all this we're totally getting off of like what <laughs> fast. I literally talk about this stuff like all day and all night so <laughs> we're gonna have to do more and more of these lives for sure but it's so true like we really do need to pay attention we need to slow down we need to eat our food we need to be present I was just listening to a ritual podcast this morning and uh, they were talking with Dan Butner. which did you know Dan Butner lives in Miami part time no I did not yes so anyway like they the longest lived areas people in like six different areas in the world, they have the highest health span. They live the longest, and one of the some of the things that they do is they eat predominantly plants. They're not all plants, but they eat mostly plants. Their connectivity; they're connected with people. They slow down. They go to church or they they do group gatherings. They eat beans. They have like all these different commonalities, and they move their body. Yeah, so really we need to learn to slow down and stop doing so much. And like, as you were talking about how you were in training and then like when you're working in the clinic, you can't have a water bottle in your workstation. Like this stuff is archaic and like you're working in healthcare, but it's not even fostering healthcare. It's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's just the culture of medicine where we just, you know, work, work, work. And it's not just medicine. It's, it's really a lot of different industries. Now with everything, you know, on Zoom, I literally have some patients and colleagues who are literally on like two Zoom meetings. They literally don't even have a chance to go to the bathroom in between meetings because they were literally back to back. So, I mean, we allow this to happen, unfortunately. And unless people speak up and say, this is not right Um, things will never change, unfortunately.
1: I completely agree. Okay, now going back to your gears. so they come in and you meet them where they are. You Mm -hmm. learn a little bit about them, see where they're willing to make some changes or see where like that low-hanging fruit is where they might be able to make some really impactful changes. Mm -hmm. Um, What are like, what are five tips that you, like what are some of your biggest tips and being able to maintain your weight
0: yeah so one of them is understanding what true hunger feels like and shutting down the kitchen during your normal witching hour so a lot of people you know when they get home from work and that's myself included we eat to decompress and so we will often eat very fast our largest meal at 8 p.m and then maybe have a snack before bed because it's the way that we decompress So just ask yourself, am I still hungry? So really understand those hunger cues. The next thing is, is that when you are hungry, have healthy things available, okay? Because again, you know, if you don't, you're gonna go to the easiest, quickest option, and that's often not a great choice. So most of my patients are not, you know, stay-at-home moms or dads. They have work and kids and job, you know, and, and they're very busy. So the goal is, how can we find healthy food options that are quick? Most of my patients don't like to cook. So I have a lot of options here. So things like um, these little egg wraps that I really like, they're called crepini. So you can literally like, um, it's pre-made, they're little egg wraps. It's like 10 calories per and you could take an egg wrap and let's say put like avocado or veggies in there or chicken breast or something. So these are pre-made low-carb egg wraps. Other things, frozen food is totally fine as long as you get frozen food, not TV dinners, but things that don't have any added sauces or seasonings. So the steam fresh veggies are super easy. This is rice cauliflower with little peas and carrots in it. And you literally pop it in the microwave. If you don't have four minutes to put something in the microwave, I have a problem with that and I need to talk to your boss, okay? At the end of the day, a lot of this stuff, it's not a time issue, it's a priority issue. And you have to advocate for yourself because many people will not advocate for you. They will take every single second of your time, unless you say no. Other really good options um, would be like edamame. This is a really good option. A lot of people have an oral fixation. They just need to put something in their mouth to calm down and that's fine. So um, steaming these and not adding salt, that would be like your finger food instead of like pita chips. Um, Other things, would be like a banana. Now this is a serving of a banana. It's a little baby banana. And I honestly think they taste like crap, but the larger bananas, the bananas that are this big are often two or three servings. So if you have a large banana, plus you have some cantaloupe, plus you have maybe not a small apple, but a big apple, you've just consumed maybe, maybe 80 grams of sugar. Now, 80 grams of natural sugar is still better than high-fructose corn syrup, but 80 grams of sugar is still 80 grams of sugar, and particularly people with fatty liver or prediabetes or diabetes, that is too much sugar. So when you go to the grocery store, you go in the produce aisle, pick the smallest fruit you can find. I'll be honest, that's not always my case, but try to do the smallest apple. One apple does not mean one serving, so portions are very important, and one banana does not mean one serving. And people are actually very surprised by that. And what I, I compare it to, if you eat a pineapple, one pineapple is clearly more than a serving. And one raspberry is clearly less than a serving. So why do we think that one apple is one serving? It's like a good wow. point. Yeah. The serving sizes are very important. And when people go out to a steak restaurant and they get a 16-ounce steak, that is not a serving. That is four servings. So understanding portions is very important. That does not mean you have to weigh all your food, but it just means that you gotta pay attention to that because for calorie dense food like a steak, there is several hundred calorie difference between a four ounce steak and an eight ounce steak. Now, if you're talking about spinach, who cares? One cup versus two cup, not a big deal because it's mostly water, but your calorie dense foods like peanut butter, nuts, steaks, things like that really do matter. Um, Things like avocado, these are super easy. So you cut a small avocado and then you put it on a piece of, let's say, whole grain bread. That stuff's easy. Um, If you're looking for a salad or something, hey, you go to Publix and you get a pre-made salad. This has onions, tomatoes, some olives and lettuce. And then you can bring, let's say, a little thing of olive oil. And instead of pouring it on, because although olive oil may be heart healthy, fat is fat and fat is a lot of calories. I literally just pour it in the cap and that's my serving of olive oil. So, portions do matter. And then, really avoiding a lot of the processed things, even dressings. So, uh, people are on this non fat or low fat craze. When you remove the fat, you remove the flavor. What do food manufacturers do? They add a ton of sugar and they add a ton of salt. So, really try to focus on making like homemade dressings so putting like a red wine vinegar with some olive oil and fresh herbs mixing it up and that's what you put on your salad so a lot of these diet food products are actually many times worse than the alternative
1: agreed agreed oh my gosh i love you with all of your uh, all your props
0: well my sister was on with you and she had all of her penis props <laughs> and and vacuum devices and cock rings so i figured i had to bring a salad and a couple apples <laughs> brilliant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're all edible, right? <laughs> like, things It's all perfect. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: No, those are so, those are all amazing, amazing tips. And like, overall, what I'm hearing is you are encouraging your patients to be mindful and be conscious of the decisions they're making. And you hit a really, really important factor too. Is like, Be mindful about the portion sizes that you're eating because I I love your analogy of one pineapple that's clearly not a serving, that's way more than a serving, and one raspberry is way less than a serving. And it's true. Like, you can have a ginormous apple or a ginormous piece of bread. Like, bread comes in so many different sizes and shapes and everything. So it is really important. Slow down. Pay attention to what you're eating. And... You know, enjoy, have fun. This is, we, we get to live one life. And when I did my yoga teacher training, we talked about your body is your temple, right? And we need to treat our bodies with respect. And food is one of the best ways that we can respect our body. And it's fun. Like Who doesn't like to eat? I know some people don't, but I love you. Yeah. And
0: it's about experimenting with food is that eating healthy does not have to be, does not have to mean you eat like really disgusting food you know but the problem is is that the yummy food or the comfort food is way too tasty and so we keep eating and keep eating because it tastes too damn good there's a fine line between enjoying our food and really enjoying our food and food manufacturers know that
1: they do they're scientists that's what they like are trained on and they are very good at what they do but we've got to like cut it and it's all, it's very mental, but it also goes into into addiction. I think that we need to do like 10 more of these because <laughs> so many different tangents and I know we're at our time.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I have a lot more food
1: props to show.
0: So until next time, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll, we- I'll wear my
0: eggplant onesie next time. How about <laughs> awesome. All right. Bye everyone. Thank you so much. All right. Bye.